There's a handful of things in life that I know that I'm good at. Running a successful podcast, for one, a website, photography, menu consulting, etc. But one of the things where I need help is my gardening, specifically culinary gardening. It's one thing to have a nice succulent or a pretty plant to look at, but there's nothing like growing your own food, herbs, and more. That's why I turn to my friend and friend of the Best Seeds podcast, Ashley Irene of Heirloom Potage, for all things culinary gardening. She's an expert through and through who's worked with some of the best chefs and restaurants here in Orange County. Just see the work that she did up at the amazing Poppy and Seed in Anaheim, or some of the work she's doing with chefs like Zach Scher over at the Bellow Chef's Table. She's talented, witty, incredibly smart, and a consummate professional through and through. Whether you're running a restaurant program, a craft cocktail program, or you just want to start growing some great food at home, she has everything you need and more. So to get more information, set up a consultation, or just to see some of the things that she's done in the past, check out heirloompotage.com for more information. I cannot recommend her services enough. Regardless of the fact that she's a supporter of the show, I still use her services even outside of the best seats. A consummate professional through and through, I cannot recommend Heirloom Potage enough for all things culinary gardening. Once again, that's heirloompotage.com. This episode of the Best Seats Podcast is brought to you by, well, you. To learn how you can support the show, go to thebestseats.com slash Patreon. Once there, you'll learn how you can get early access to shows, ad-free listening, the ability to submit questions, comments, concerns, and more. Once again, that's thebestseats.com slash Patreon. But enough of that. On to the show. What's up, everybody? Hello and welcome to the first ever episode 129 of the Best Seats Podcast, the only podcast bringing you interviews with some of the most talented people in and around the hospitality community from right here in Orange County to the rest of Southern California and beyond each and every episode. As always, I'm your host, Croft McCarthy, founder and principal of The Best Seats. Thank you so much to my friend, Allie Coyle, who provides the music for the show. You can find more of her work at AllieCoyleMusic.com. If you're listening to the show on free feeds, whether that's Spotify, Apple, wherever that may be, please consider leaving a rating and or a review or sharing on social. It helps other folks discover the show, get the show in front of more audiences, play the game with everybody's algorithm, which is what we all apparently have to do online these days. So it is much appreciated. Do not forget that you can get more content just like this at thebestseats.com, where you can also check out Merchandise Store, the return of the blog, and more. But the very best experience is only found on Patreon, over at patreon.com forward slash thebestseats, where so many of you support each and every month, and it is forever appreciated because you make this show happens every, or happen, excuse me, every single dollar that is raised on Patreon each and every month goes right back into the show, whether that is equipment, website fees, et cetera, et cetera. So whether you're at that $2 tier, the 15 or advertising tiers, I am forever grateful. Thank you. Um, this episode, well, frankly, this one and the next one, let me get this out of the way first. Um, I am coming on the tail end of a head cold. There's some kind of like congestion cold going on around Orange County here. I don't exactly know what it is. All I know is that it sucks and it's irritating and I've had it for like on and off for what feels like two weeks. Um, so it's been a little bit of a pain. So if I'm a little raspy, 
I apologize. Um, it's just something I'm unfortunately dealing with. I know a lot of other people are dealing with it too. But these next two episodes, this one and the next one, we're going to wind down the year 2023 with some uh, some special ones. For anybody that's been listening to the podcast for a while, you know that I like to do a wrap up um, at the beginning of the year. I want to say last year it happened in like January just because of the day that it released. But we're going to have the second annual Delhi Awards, which are basically my kind of picks for best of, um, things like that. They're a little tongue in cheek, a little cheeky. There's going to be a bunch more categories this year. Last year, it was kind of short and sweet as far as like best chef, best bar program, stuff like that. There's going to be some more categories this year, which I'm looking forward to. Um, but there's also one more episode that I thought about doing. I played around with it last year. And then when I had to reschedule some interviews because of this head cold that I've been fighting, I thought that this would be a great way to do it. Um, ending the year on one, uh, episode 130, which is going to be the Delhi Award. You can look forward to that one next week. Um, or depending on kind of what I feel about with the holidays and everything else, that might come the week of, I want to say like the week of Christmas, depending on when you're listening to this, it may have already come out. But this episode, I wanted to talk about predictions, resolutions. The year is just kind of ahead of us. Um, there's a lot to jump into with 2024 right there on the horizon. And I thought it would be fun to... Yeah, jump in. And I reached out to a lot of audience members, whether that was on um, Patreon options. A lot of people sent me DMs when they saw the request. I put it out on Instagram, talked to some friends locally, had people write in, email, etc. And I wanted to get kind of ideas. What are some of these assumptions? What are the resolutions that people think are going to happen, mostly here in Orange County, but kind of industry-wide as well? So I collected a handful of my favorites. Um, some of these are serious. Some of these are very much not serious. Um, and I wanted to unpack them. So without further ado, let us jump in to your predictions and resolutions for 2024. First of all, a lot of people wrote in about this one. I don't know if this is my own angst that has come through um, or what the deal is, but a lot of different people wrote in about this. 2024, one of the biggest predictions, we will not stop seeing Tulum-inspired restaurants. I sadly completely agree. Um, there's not a, it seems like every week whenever somebody opens a quote unquote upscale Mexican restaurant, which in and of itself is a whole other issue to unpack. Um, the, the press release always, it, it just inevitably ends up reading, you'll be transported to Tulum or transported to at least that area, that region of Mexico in that state. And inevitably the margaritas suck. The tequilas are always the same as everybody else. And the food is meh. And a handful of these opened up uh, here in Orange County, but they probably opened up wherever you're listening to this too. Also, pretty much all year long. It's like every time the seasons change, a new high-end, whatever, upscale Mexican Tulum-inspired restaurant opens, and they are all inevitably just meh. So yeah, that's a fair prediction. I do not think we're going to stop seeing that type of restaurant open, um, especially here in Southern California. People love Mexican food. They love margaritas and the sad fact is that a lot of people just don't know any better. So they like bad ones and they like mediocre food. And it's really just about atmosphere and kind of being seen, et cetera. So I think that's a completely fair prediction. We will not stop seeing Tulum inspired restaurants. I would love it if we would see some like other state inspired places. I would love to see like, give me like a, like this in the state, it's a city, but give me some like Mazatlan, like give me some great like options for that, but stop taking everybody to Tulum. Our next prediction or it's more of a question. This one comes in as a question. Again, people can write in. Well, for episodes like this, you can write in on Patreon or Instagram, just like this person did. And they ask, 
who in the Orange County restaurant scene will have a great year? I have some options in mind and I have some great predictions based on your content and others. Thank you so much for supporting. But I want to know who do you think? Will it be Zach Scherer? Will it be some other chefs? I've seen some great stories that you've put up throughout the year, but I want your opinion. I have my own ideas, but let's hear it from you. First of all, thank you so much for writing in and thank you for the support. That means a lot. Um, I actually do think it's going to be Zach Scherer. Um, what he's doing right now with his pop-up chrysalis, um, again, you can take this with a grain of salt. I consider him a friend, so take it how you will. But his pop-ups are awesome. They're inventive. They're different. But his menus are ridiculous. They're just fun. They're provocative. Um, at the time of this recording, he has a pop-up coming up uh, back at Everywhere Beer Co., which I was fortunate enough to buy tickets and get in and get tickets for um, like a month ago at this point. But I know I've already seen the menu. He's got a dish with caviar and white cheddar. Um, I can't remember the other ingredient, but even just hearing those two things, you're like, that shouldn't work. Why, caviar and white cheddar, that shouldn't work. It just shouldn't. And I guarantee you, I'm not going to this dinner, but I guarantee whoever is, that dish is going to slap. It's going to be really, really good. He's just doing things with food that challenge. Um, they're exciting. I know his concept for his restaurant, which ideally he will open in 2024 um, at the time of this recording. I know that there's a lot of back, uh, kind of back end details that he's working on, which is always the case inevitably when you try to open a restaurant. But yeah, if you kind of want to know my two cents on who's going to have a banger 2024, um, and again, this is all predicated on him getting his spot open within the year, but I think that he's going to accomplish that. I think it's going to be Chef Zach Cher. Um, I really, he's a really interesting talent. There's some other really great kind of quote unquote chef's tables experiences out there. Um, I mean, I would say the guys up at Trust are absolutely crushing it. Um, you'll obviously get my pick ultimately because that's going to be one of the categories on the next episode for the uh, second annual Deli Awards. But yeah, I think Zach is going to have an absolute banner year. If he's not already, his pop-ups are killer. Um, I've spoken with him about some concepts that he's been playing around with in his head, and we'll see if those come to fruition for other pop-up concepts. But I, he's just, he's crushing it right now. His menus are challenging. Um, I think you, Orange County is a place where you could play it safe and get away with it at a price point that chef's tables generally kind of generate. Obviously there's labor involved, there's food cost involved. There's a reason that those, you know, you're getting six to eight, 11 courses, whatever it may be. So there's a reason that those ticket prices are that high. But I think that a lot of people can play it safe and some people choose to play it safe and, and Zach doesn't. And I find that very exciting. So I'm very excited for what he's going to do in 2024. Thank you for writing in. Um, next one on the list. I predict that cocktail prices sadly will keep increasing. It seems the more I look around at every menu that I go to, I'm getting $20 to $16 cocktails. While I get that some ingredients cost more money and restaurants and bars operate on razor thin margins, this just seems ridiculous as a lot of these ingredients and these cocktails themselves are fairly average and poorly executed. Do you think that we'll continue to see cocktail prices, specifically cocktails, increasing in the new year? Thank you so much for the show. Keep doing what you're doing. Awesome. Thank you so much for writing in. I appreciate the support. Um, this has been a trend that's generated a lot of conversations in the bar world. Um, many, many years ago, it, it, look, anybody who knows me knows that I'm a big fan of what Michael Rooney and the, the beverage team over at uh, Broadway and Vodka do. And sadly, the hall, which we lost in what, 2021, I think that it opened literally the December, like right before COVID, but that bar program was really killer too. Um, they do a great job. Their cocktails hit, traditionally were always a bit more expensive, but that's because you were using esoteric ingredients, small batch spirits. Um, there were techniques being put into place that were more difficult, things like that. But it seems like the rest of the county looked around and said, oh, well, they have an $18 margarita. We're going to have an $18 margarita. 
and that's just, it's not the case. It's not, it's apples and oranges. These things, I've been to a lot of places that I've paid $17 for a cocktail and it's terrible. Just frankly, it's terrible. You're talking really average ingredients, poor techniques. It's just bad. I've been to other places in Orange County. I paid $8 for a cocktail and it's wonderful. So the price structure, I know for a fact to be just for show in some instances. This is not true for everything. I'm speaking very broadly here, obviously. But there are a lot of cases where I think people look around and they look at their clientele, maybe they look at the socioeconomic kind of basis that their clientele operates on. Um, Newport Beach is pretty notorious for this in a lot of their restaurants. You're going to see $17, $18 cocktails. And frankly, a vast majority of them just are not great. One of the other things is that um, one of the factors for this, I think, is that Orange County lost a lot of bar talent during COVID. A lot of people moved down to San Diego. Some people got out of the industry. Some people went up to L.A. Um, and there was a vacuum when everything reopened of hiring people. And during that vacuum, I don't think that there was a lot of education going back into this. And I do think that bartending is one of those things, especially nowadays, where you're seeing cocktail programs evolve and evolve and evolve that and, and kind of that, you know, the mixologist and the vest with the mustache thing has kind of gone out the window a little bit, that stereotype. But there are people out there doing some really incredible things. You look at a place like Mirate up in Los Angeles and what Max Reese is doing in that bar program team up there. Um, he's not the only one, obviously. He's just one of the guys that I know, so I'm naming him. But they're doing stuff that's really phenomenal, whether it's bringing in these kind of small batch spirits, esoteric producers. But some of their techniques are also really, really wonderful. Um, that's not to say that every place needs it. I mean, your dive bar, you can get away with a shot and a beer and you're perfectly fine. But if you're talking about a true cocktail program, there's just not a lot of back end that I see that justifies the pricing on the front end. I think you're seeing, I don't think that's going to change, sadly. Um, I think that cocktail prices are here to stay. Alcohol is traditionally where a restaurant makes pretty good margins compared to some other places. Um, hard alcohol, especially, you can really crank out some good margins and Again, we're talking about an industry that operates on razor thin costs. I think that alcohol prices are here to stay so people can generate money. Now, do I think that that quality will start to catch up where that $18 margarita is actually going to be really, really good, made with really good tequila, fresh lime juice, proper dilution, and the whole nine yards? Hopefully. Um, I'm an optimist, so hopefully. I, I really am hopeful about that. I don't know if it's going to get there because I don't know if enough consumers can A, tell the difference, or B, frankly, care. You're listening to this podcast, so I'm assuming that you do care. So ultimately, I would say vote with your dollars and vote with your wallet. If there's a program that you know is doing great work and they have a $15 cocktail, go pay for that $15 cocktail. If there's a place that you go out to and they have an $18 trash bag, don't buy the trash bag. Um, I think ultimately it comes down to consumers to vote with their wallet. I think if people see that cocktail sales are uh, decreasing dramatically based on those high prices, maybe places will start to lower them. But Sadly, I don't see that changing anytime soon. Um, I think especially with kind of inflation and things like that, certain food costs. I mean, shit, there was a time, what, two years ago or something, I want to say, where like a case of limes was like just astronomically high. And we tend to use a lot of those here in Southern California. So sadly, I don't see that changing anytime soon. Another follow-up question to this, this was not from the same writer, but somebody else wrote in and said, mocktails and non-alcoholic drinks seem like they're definitely here to stay. With the start of the new year bringing in dry January, where do you see the mocktail movement going? This is something, again, this is more of a question, not really a prediction. I mean, this person is saying that they're here to stay, but first of all, thank you for writing in. Um, I don't see it going anywhere. So I actually, it's it's serendipitous that I was kind of organizing the questions for this episode. Um 
and I read a headline. I was going through threads, um, Instagram's new thing because X and Twitter, whatever you want to call it, is just a cesspool in my opinion. And I saw something pretty astounding when I was organizing this. Um, if you want to know how big the non-alcoholic movement is and why it's here to stay, there's two things that we need to kind of unpack. First of all, it's that the the young generation here, Gen Z, is basically only, I think it, a recent study said something like only 20% actually partake in alcohol, and even that it's not very heavy consumption. So they're definitely leaning more towards sober, um, sober drinking, things like that. That's for the ages, I want to say it's like 28 and under. <laughs> but the biggest reason that I know it's here to stay is releasing on January 1 to the public is going to be White Claw non-alcoholic. I'll give that a minute to sink in. White Claw non-alcoholic seltzers, meaning we have completely lost the plot, ladies and gentlemen. I cannot make this shit up. White Claw, the patrons of pool party drunks everywhere and the kings of the seltzer kickoff are now going non-alcoholic. If that doesn't tell you something, then I don't know what does. Um, the non-alcoholic movement is here to stay. There's a lot of good that comes out of it, obviously. I mean, a lot of people were home drinking during COVID. Um, alcohol has always been something that people have had a difficult relationship, uh, relationship with, uh, to some degree, you know, it, it affects different people differently. Obviously a lot of families have gone through things. Someone has probably experienced somebody with some level of alcoholism at some point in their life. So there's nothing wrong with that. Being the designated driver can suck when all your friends are getting kind of loaded and having fun. So being able to sip on something other than just a Diet Coke or a soda water is nice. Being able to have an experience, a drinking experience along the lines of a regular cocktail is nice. I have no problem with that. When you have White Claw going out and making non-alcoholics, it's just absurd. I, and here's the thing, they're probably going to crush it all freaking dry January. I guarantee it'll, it'll go on TikTok. Somebody will claim its health benefits or some shit like that, and it's going to sell gangbusters. I'd be amazed if it doesn't. The non-alc movement is definitely here to stay. My issue with it still comes down to pricing. It actually relates back to the previous question about cocktail pricing. Um, if you go back many, many episodes ago where I sat down with Master Distiller Morgan McLaughlin of Amass Botanics, we actually talk about the pricing of non-alcoholic spirits. And she has her opinions on it. She's obviously incredibly accomplished and very well respected, and she makes great products. I still maintain that certain non-alcoholic cocktails should not be priced as high as they are. You'll see certain cocktails that are priced almost the same price as an alcoholic drink, and I there's something about that that still just doesn't sit right with me. I don't think it sits right with a lot of people. So I do think that you'll probably see some changes in that um, when it comes to pricing and options. There are some people doing some really, really great stuff with non-alcoholic drinks, though. I mean, there's people making really, really delicious mocktails, non-alcs, zero zeros, whatever the hell you want to call it. Um, by the way, sidebar, that's one thing that I hope does come from this entire non-alc movement is we finally get a concrete name because I've written multiple pieces about it and talked about it. Even in my notes right here, I have NA, like mocktail, whatever, zero zero movement. So I hope we get a concrete name. Um, that being said, I don't see it going anywhere. I think that there's a lot of benefits to it. Um, I think that there's some potential harm. I think there's some people kind of bandwagoning. They're seeing a market potential and they're just trying to penetrate market potential, which is just kind of the reality of capitalism and, and economics is people are going to chase the dollar. So I think that you're going to see a little bit of a flood on the market with that. I mean, shit, when White Claw is getting involved, that kind of tells you something. So um, a prediction for 2024, do I think it's going away? No, 
No, I do not. Um, but shout out to anybody who's making healthier choices. I mean, dry January is obviously a big thing. I don't personally participate, um, nor do a lot of my friends. It's a great time to go get a seat at the bar because there's a lot more seats open. But I don't think that's going anywhere anytime soon. All righty. Next up. Love the show. Thank you for everything you're doing. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. With everything seeming to go fast casual or healthy or little stop and grab kind of cafes, does everything have to be so damn green? What if people want the grease? I want the grease. Other people want food. When did it all have to be just greens and leaves and things of that nature? So this is, again, more of a question. I guess the prediction here or the thought from this person is kind of going, there's a lot of places that are opening that are fast casual. Um, I'll use one as an example. And I actually love the food from this place, so I'm not saying anything bad about them at all. But I know Sweet Green recently opened. Um, there seems to be a lot of places that are kind of pushing for healthier options, things like that. Again, this almost relates back to the mocktail question about health and kind of things like that, um, which is nice because I didn't even mean to organize those in that way. We want the grease. You know what? There's no shame in the game on that. Um, sadly, a lot of places with kind of the unhealthier options do seem to be more chainy. There's obviously, you know, you can get obviously your in and outs if you're down that route. Shake Shack has opened up over at Spectrum Center in South Orange County. Uh, there's plenty of great kind of hole in the wall burger spots and sandwich spots and things like that up in North County. Um, I, I think you can find your grease. I, I think you're fine. Healthier options are never going to go away Frankly, with people, especially kind of recently, if they work standard nine to fives in offices being forced to go back to their offices, they need cleaner options. I mean, I can't imagine sitting in a cubicle and putting down a double double and then having to work the rest of the day. I would just want to curl up and take a nap and just die in my cubicle. So I got no problem with this. Um, no, I don't think you're going to see this trend going away. I think you're going to see continue. I think places are going to continue to open again. Look at sweet green. Their food rocks, frankly. I've had it a number of times. Um, I really, really dig it. So, yeah, no problem there. Um, I, I got no issue with it, frankly. I, You know, more options. Again, vote with your dollars. If you don't like it, vote with your dollars. There's plenty of little mom and pop burger spots to go support around here. Just do your, do your searching and you'll be fine. Sorry, again, like I said, tail end of the head cold. So if there's quick breaks, just apologies. All righty. I've got a prediction for 2024 that I would love your two, uh, your two cents on. Sorry, misspoke here. It seems like influencers are everywhere, but do I really need another video having to follow somebody through the front door while I go with them to check out a restaurant? How can every restaurant these people go to be great? Are, there actually getting, are, are the restaurants actually getting ROI from inviting these people in? And why does every video have to look the same? Love the show and would love your two cents on where influencer culture is going to go in 2024. Frankly, I'm over it, and hopefully some other people are as well. Just my two cents. Love what you do. Thank you so much for writing in. Thank you for the kind words. Um, influencers, this one's a big one. This is a lot to unpack. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I will say, and I want to be careful on how I say this. I have friends who are influencers, um, legitimate professional. I'm pretty sure that's how they pay their bills. They are influencers. I know people socially um, that I see around that are, that, you know, they're, they're nice enough people. Um, I will be frank. I fucking hate the trend of the whole, like, follow me while we go here. It's just, I don't like it. It seems like every single video is the same damn thing. Follow me while I walk through the front door. Here's my narration, which by the way, a lot of people need to take voice training. Um, just frankly, a lot of you do. Um, and that's coming from somebody that does voice acting and voice coaching on the side and things like that. So a lot of you need media training. Um, 
I don't like that video style. I don't think there's any benefit to it. I've had a lot of chefs reach out to me in 2023 um, complaining about influencers where an influencer, you know, again, excuse me, head cold, uh, where an influencer would basically kind of come to their spot and they would be like, hey, you know, the food's great. You should go here. But they don't give any other details. They don't say, hey, this is the way that you order. Hey, these are the only options available. Hey, they don't do substitutions. You know, this is the style of food, of this cuisine. I mean, again, it's one thing to say this is a great taco. Okay, what kind? Where's it from? What are the tortillas? Like, what are my options? Like, are we talking like Oaxacan? Are we talking Michoacan? Like, where is the food from? Like, what state in Mexico? For instance, I'll be very, very candid. Um, you know, my friends over at Boil and Bake had a situation like this where basically somebody came in and raved about their food, which is great, but didn't give any other details. So then the next day, some people showed up. They didn't know what to expect because there were no details given in this whole follow me video. Look how good this food is and ended up having a bad experience with then ended up leading to Yelp reviews that were bad. If you have a following, if you're an influencer and you have a following, it doesn't matter if it's 150,000 people, 500,000 people, 1 million people, 100 people, whatever your number is, I believe there is a moral obligation that if you're going to say this place is great, and we're going to unpack more of that in just five seconds, if you're going to say that this place is great, you have to say why and you have to say what people are going to expect. You can't just say yum. That doesn't do anything. It's going to, you're going to hurt the business if you send, if you influence a wave of people to go there with no expectations, thinking that, that just anything kind of flies. If a place is very specific in its ordering style, if it's specific in its, Walk-ins only, no reservations, reservations only, tickets only, on talk, whatever it may be. Hey, we only serve these kind of drinks. We only have whatever, full natural wines. We only have this. You need to relay that to your audience. You can't just say, hey, go here, and then give people no basic context of what that place really is, apart from mm, good food. My two cents. Um, the other thing that I'll say about influencer culture is it seems that Every single influencer loves every single place they go to, which speaks to a bigger issue that somebody else writes in about, um, which I'll get to in just a second, about objectivity. Because frankly, not every place can be amazing. Not everything needs to be called amazing, by the way. Please expand your lexicon. But not every place can be amazing. If every place is amazing, then nowhere is amazing. Plain and simple. There has to be a little bit of choice here. There has to be a little bit of criticism here. Basically, if I see an influencer, and I mean like a full-on influencer, influencer, the people that pop up in your Instagram feed that you didn't even ask to see, the whole suggested reels, whatever it may be. If I see that level of person, I'm immediately taking that place with a massive grain of salt because I don't assume it's good. If it's a place that I don't know, I will do my own research. I will look at if professionals have written about it, and I do mean professional writers. Um, I will do my own research, but it's getting to the point where if I see somebody go somewhere, I don't trust it. Just plain and simple. Um, I don't think the trend is going to go anywhere. In fact, I think it's going to only get bigger, um, especially as TikTok has become, I want to say at the time of this recording, TikTok is like the third largest search engine in the world. I mean, it's massive. I don't personally use it just because I have my own issues with the CCP and, and kind of its background and underlying um, technological uses. And it's just not an app I trust, frankly. So I don't personally use it. Also, I'm 36 and my ass is probably too old for it, but I don't think it's going anywhere. Um, so to answer your question in a very long format, influencers are very much here to stay. I think that the, econo the 
economy of influencers will shift a little bit because I think that it's so big now. Um, and I've seen a lot of, again, influencers that I trust and people that are very, very professional that have been doing this kind of quote unquote for 12 years where brands are paying a lot less. They're really kind of disrespecting the people that they work with. Um, so I think the economy of it will change a little bit, but you won't really see that as it relates to kind of what you see in your feed. I think that'll be back end stuff. Um, and frankly, I think it's just going to turn into a race to the bottom economically for who will do one of those walkthrough doors for the cheapest. And sadly, I don't see that trend um, ending anytime soon either. So it's a tough time to be a, a significant other to an influencer. You're going to be doing a lot of filming. All right. We got another one that writes, <laughs> again, sorry to anybody who's offended by that, by the way. I just, I, I don't mean to, I'm not trying to be rude. Some people do work really hard at it, but there's just, and I understand that it is a lot of work doing all the filming and the setup and stuff like that. Like it's not easy and it takes a certain level of vulnerability or narcissism to throw yourself on camera like that. But I just, I'm not a personal fan of it. It just doesn't do anything for me. All right, we have another 2024 prediction. I hope that we will get back to actual critics. I can't believe I'm saying this, especially with some of the way that some of these dinosaurs used to write about spots. This person names names. I'm not going to do that. Um, and they, they're naming names from all over, not Orange County. They're naming names from like New York and everywhere else, but I'm not going to do that um, out of rudeness. While we used to take critics with a grain of salt, it seems like more and more with the influencer culture basically saying that every place is amazing. See, told you. We need actual objective criticisms from places once again. I need a writer that will be honest and tell me if this quote-unquote amazing place is actually good or not or worth my time. Especially with inflation, the seeming cost of everything rising up, a night out is becoming more and more expensive proposition. Do you think that we'll finally get to an actual point where objective, excuse me, objective restaurant journalism returns? God, I hope so. Um, I really hope so. Frankly, though, I think if you want objective, really like good restaurant writers, um, I think you have to find them and support them individually. Um, we are down to, well, the register at the time of this recording has still not hired another critic after Brad Johnson's departure. Um, the best writer kind of critic that we have here in Orange County is a woman by the name of Gretchen Kurz. Gretchen is somebody who's writing that I've agreed with very much over the years for the places that she picks and, and chooses to praise. I don't think you're going to see a lot of, I think it takes balls for somebody to say something negative about a place because then that place isn't going to work with them. And this is a very small world, um, at least here in Orange County. But for most places, it's a very small world and the relationships between media, PR and restaurants and bars are, are very small. So that whole negative, um, I don't know if you're going to see that as much. It's kind of the old adage, if you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything at all. But that being said, um, I hope that you will find more writers who will give you very honest opinions and honest reviews. Um, it's, it's kind of a catch-22 for me emotionally because I don't consider myself an influencer. I don't consider myself a critic. Um, I do consider myself an advocate. I try to only talk about people that I like. I will talk shit about people that I don't or situations that I don't, but I don't try to actively call out individuals. I, it, this is hard. A lot of magazines, a lot of papers are becoming very pay to play um, because and I can't really fault them because they need dollars to survive. Advertising dollars come from big players. Just um, just last year, a, a publication came out with like their best of 
um, of the year, which so many people do. I mean, shit, my next episode is going to be my best of. And they named their best cocktail of the year. And I know that cocktail. And it was trash. Um, I believe that that was a pay-to-play situation. But again, they need advertising dollars to survive. You got to pay your people. Um, here in Orange County, I say we have one writer. We may have a second one sometime soon. There's some great writers, um, some great friends. I mean, you know, people like Anne-Marie Pringori. I mean, there's just wonderful people. Jen Tanaka. I mean, there's really wonderful writers down here. You just got to find them and find the ways to support them. I don't think you're going to see a lot of those criticisms, though. I think that the criticisms are really reserved for Yelp. And yeah, I mean, just just do your best to try and find people that are honest um, and transparent and support them however you can. It may not be through a publication. It may be through Substack. It may be through a Patreon page. It may just be supporting their writing as a side gig uh, because, frankly, writing doesn't pay shit. So it's a very tough thing to make uh, make a living off of. Um, if I wasn't in the situation that I was with, you know, people in my life helping me out and Patreon and things like that, I would not be making a living. I would be working a nine to five, eating my greasy burger, falling asleep. Last question as we wind this down. Um, and sorry, and to answer that one, I, I hope you'll see a return to it. I just think that the landscape is changing too much. So you're just going to have to find those people and support them if you really want objective solid reviews and opinions from people. Um, I always try to be as transparent as I am, but I am not a critic. I'm an advocate at best. Last question. 2024 has seen, or I'm sorry, 2023 has seen a lot of changes with social media, calling people out, accountability, and more. When will this transfer to our favorite restaurant review site, Yelp? <sighs> I don't fucking know. Um, <laughs> it's the honest to God truth. I don't see that site changing anytime soon. It goes back to this influencer thing. It goes back to why you need objective journalism. Um, everybody is a freaking food critic on there. And I got to tell you, I share a lot of memes and texts and, and kind of back and forth with a lot of chef friends in the area or owners and things like that. And every time they get a beautiful, poorly, poorly worded one-star review, they send it to me. And the worst part is as stupid as those freaking people are and how wrong they are most of the time, that review sticks and it affects the business. And it's not going anywhere. I don't think Yelp is going anywhere. The ability to hide behind the internet anonymity-wise, their inability to kind of regulate these reviews and actually even verify if these people even go to these restaurants. I mean, there's a reason that when something really bad happens socially, let's say like, again, you'll see it on, right? It'll break on TikTok first. A business owner comes out with a racist tirade. Then it would trend on Twitter. And then what would happen immediately Yelp review and review bombed and things like that. Um, and rightfully so in that person's case, if they're an asshole, but again, it's just an unpredictable wild west that you should definitely take with a grain of salt. And I do not think it is going anywhere. Um, I'm going to wrap it up because I want to keep it short. We will still do a Patreon bonus episode with a few more of your questions that you can find over at patreon.com forward slash the best seats. Um, again, these next two, this episode and the second annual Delhi Awards, which will be out soon, are going to be very, very fun ones just to end the year. And then right when we get back to it in January, we are back to having guests on. We got some killer, killer people lined up. So excited to jump back to it. Thank you so much for everybody that wrote in. There were a ton more questions. Again, I'm going to answer a few more in a bonus episode, which you can find on Patreon. 
Patreon. Uh, those are exclusive over there. Thank you to everybody that does support on Patreon. Thank you to everybody, uh, my advertisers. Thank you to everybody who listens on free feeds. Thank you to everybody who has supported throughout this year. 2023 was a really, really great year. There were a lot of challenges. There were a lot of ups and downs, a lot of backend stuff, but a lot of people stuck with it. Again, a lot of those changes that Patreon is making also are gonna be really, really fun. I've been playing around with some backend ideas and I got some really cool stuff planned for the future. So thank you to all of you that you support me. It means the world. I can't even thank you enough. I'll see you soon. Take care. The Best Seats Podcast is an original production of The Best Seats. It is written, edited, produced, and owned by myself, Crawford McCarthy, founder and principal of The Best Seats. It's based in Orange County, California. It is subsidized through generous monthly donations at patreon.com forward slash The Best Seats. The following are the names of those who subscribed at the highest monthly tier, aka norm status, and allow me to continue producing this show each and every month. As a thank you for their continued support, here are the names. John Sanchez, Paige Reardon, Loco Lipo, Eric Lutz, Morito Norito, Sasha Lyons, Jay Baker, Subtle Bubbles, Burgermeister, It Ain't Easy Being Breezy, Tim Swine. Thank you for your support. 